Super Scoreboard. The old firm through the decades. Super Scoreboard, the old firm through the decades, arrives at the 1980s. And what a decade that was. It started with a riot at Hamden. It finished with Mo Johnson posing in a Celtic strip and then signing for Graham Souness at Rangers. And in between, there was a court case known as Goldilocks and the Three Bears. So it was kind of lively. And I've got the right two here to discuss it with me. I've got, they sound like comedians from Blackpool, actually. We've got Granty and Durante. <laughs> but poster boys for the old firm in the 80s. Peter Grant, 483 appearances for Celtic. Two league titles, three Scottish Cups, Ian Durant, 346 games for Rangers, 45 goals, six league titles, three Scottish Cups and four league Cups. Not a bad haul, Durante. Not bad. Should have been better, but I can't complain. Uh, I was lucky enough, fortunate enough to play in a good team and a good set-up at that time and uh, Mr Soonis came and transformed Scottish football. And you, Peter, had to go through... Just about everything Including Celtic centenary year In 1988 With all the pressures That brought Yeah I'm glad to see And said He sort of suffered a little bit No one and more I said You should try to be in my shoes You know what I mean No We had a real tough time Against a very Very good Rangers outfit Right through that decade You know so It was incredible times Proud to be part of it You yeah. know because There was a lot of things Happened in that period I'd love to have won a lot more And so I say I'm listening to Ian's Hall there of trophies I'd have loved it to be in that part but I wouldn't have swapped it for the world apart from obviously winning the games like I say it started with a riot at Hamden the Scottish Cup final it brought government legislation into being the Criminal Justice Scotland Act which took Bevy out of the football grounds and it's never returned since neither of you played in the game of course you were too young but do you remember that day? yes I remember of course with the Celtic one you know what I mean so <laughs> And yeah, as I said, that Danny shooting at goal as well, you know, so that, that was the two things and George getting the flick. So I, I remember it clearly. It was one of these things that's iconic, on, on, so fortunately, you know, when people look back nowadays and even my boys look back and watch that particular game, the aftermath is quite incredible. But it was a sad day that way, but I suppose that was the passion that went about the whole firm for all the years and that's the way it was. Were you there? No, I was not. No, I wasn't allowed to go that day. <laughs> no, I think they were already sensing that there was something going to happen. Was there a blockade up in Kenning Park that day, or did I you think, break uh, free? I, I'm sure my two brothers, my older brothers, were there. Uh, it was just now. I, I don't think my recollection doesn't think it was a very good game. In fact, it was one of the games that I think was pertinent to a, uh, a replay. And then I said, "Now, Danny, and I think it was George McCluskey." Yeah, and it came in and it trickled into the corner, and the <laughs> aftermath of that, I think uh, El Dorado got a good sponsorship after that. <laughs> and the, my, the recollection, as I said, was not very vague about the game. I just remember the wee woman in the white horse, yeah, separating now both sets of fans. And uh, to this day, she sort of aired more than I think the game was. Let me tell you, her name was Elaine Mudie, and the reason why I know that she was my next door neighbour. There you go. There you are. So it's amazing It's a small world uh, she, she was grazing her horse At one of these Shug's farms <laughs> How difficult was it In the 80s Because that must have set A kind of tone Supporters were Passionate But Going over the score at times How difficult was it To be a Celtic and Rangers player then I think it was quite hard as well If, if you remember the early 80s Now Rangers and Celtic Particularly were chasing Now Aberdeen Dundee United Now they seemed to uh, The new firm was created And uh, Rangers and Celtic Now were were well down the leagues at that time now, so they were sort of chasing their tail. Celtic 
at the time had a good cup pedigree. Uh, Rangers were in a sort of transitional period with with Big Jock just coming back and having one trophy to to show for it. And I think now there was a lot of disgruntled fans at Ibrox. And then in 1984-85, it, it, it sort of blew up with the arrival of Mr Soonis. Going oh. about the town as young men, uh, it's hard enough for players nowadays. What was it like back then, Peter? It was difficult, you know. Very rarely did I go out, I must admit. Saturday evening, you know, you went out and you, you met your mates. You bump into Gerani and whatever, Coystein, whatever. You'd nod to them more than anything else because you weren't allowed to speak to them really with the punters and that's the way it was, you know. And me knew that. You went into pubs of a Celtic Rangers end, you know, you went <laughs> to nightclubs of a Celtic Rangers end. The Rangers boys would go there, we'd go there. And that's the way it was, even after the games. But we were great friends because we'd all sort of grown up together with the national teams at schoolboy level and whatever, youth teams. And we know each other really, really, really well. On the pitch, it was winner takes all sort of a thing, you know. Oh. And then, but off the pitch, we got on very, very well. You were both steeped in it. I mean, Durante, you came from... The shadow of Ibrooks lived there all your life. Uh, and Peter, you represented the, the Lanarkshire contingent. Uh, you were steeped in Rangers and Celtic. Was it just a dream come true, Ian, for you to sign for Rangers? Just loved the dream. Obviously, that uh, was well documented. I used to walk to work now to get to Ibrooks. It was now great. And I lived the dream along with Peter. Now, now, when I was growing up, I just wanted to play for Rangers. I was fortunate enough. I was a, maybe a late developer due to the fact that. An unfortunate skiing accident when I broke my leg up with the school and it sort of hindered my, my progress because there was an S form for Rangers at the time then I had to take a sort of eight, nine months off and that sort of, I thought I'd missed my chance but I got a chance again and came back and I said no, I just, at the second time I got a chance I just I was making sure I was going to make full throttle of it and just loved it. Now Peter will tell you, the, the passion in growing up and it's ingrained in you. Now you're, there's not a day went by that I wasn't told now what it was about representing Rangers, what you had to do. And I, and I had great guidance under John Gregg and Jock Wallace, the early managers. And I'm sure Peter have no uh, reflect as well. He reflected his old managers and they, they grounded you into be a Rangers player. How did that affect you as a kid, teenager, broken leg? Did you believe the dream was over? It's, yeah, you've seen that. No, it's unfortunate again later on to have another injury. But at uh, that time, you're, you're young and free and you're, you got on with it. And I was... Playing with a good boys club at the time, who now who Rangers were still monitoring me, so I get back playing again, and it just kicked on, kicked on again. But I just now it's one of these unfortunate things. But me coming from Karen Park now taking on a, now skiing was now sort of but a daftness my part because I don't see a lot of now ski slopes like about <laughs> Karen Park, <laughs> and uh, it was just now you, you put your name in a hat at school and <laughs> I get picked too. It cost my dad a few bob right enough and <laughs> lasted a day on the, on the piece, as it called. Yeah, yes. <laughs> and, uh, but again, that was just one of these unfortunate things. But again, I was fortunate enough to have uh, still, at that time, the S-form, still getting the rehabilitation at Ibrox and still get by now with the, the fitness side of it. How often would you have gone to Rangers games as a fan, as a kid? Not that often. Uh, as often as I could. I used to try and... Well, well, when I was allowed to go, I got the midweek games, but I was more uh, playing football on a Saturday. I played in the morning with the school or, or the BB and then and, and the Saturday. And now Saturday afternoon, I was playing with Glasgow United. When we played at the, the old 50 pitches, at, I mean, I'd sure, uh, chug. We usually run down the road and you get the last 20 minutes at Ibrox if Rangers were at home. And that was now the, most of the times I, I was heading down the road for the 50 pitches to try and get the last 20 minutes. But more so, it was just uh, more uh, during the week games I got to, got to see. Do you remember your debut as a supporter? Never mind a player. Do you remember the first game you saw Celtic yeah. play? St. Johnson away, the old Muirton, and Celtic get beat 2 1. 
my grandfather, God rest him, said to me I'd never be back because of the jinx. <laughs> um, but both grandparents run the Celtic supporters buses, you know, so yeah, again, we were brought up in it. You know, you went to watch the games when you could. Um, I was fortunate, I signed as an S form similar to Ian, 10 years of age. I was all of a sudden linked to Celtic then. And you played there to under 16. There was no youth team, there was no under 18s or that. In fact, we actually played in the first BP Youth Cup fight. Am I right? Oh, you know, right I think we bringing that up. I mentioned that because we won it. You know, <laughs> it was, obviously the clock turned and then it went a completely different way after that. But um, that was the first U, uh, Youth Cup uh, we'd actually played in. But it was only up to under 16s then. So you went from 16s to reserve team. And that's why I laugh nowadays and people say they should have this, that, and the next thing. You were either good enough at that age, 16, 17, to be playing the reserves, Chapman and Dory, the first team, or they would let you go. Not because you weren't good enough, it's just because they didn't keep the big numbers round about. They'd only have one or two players who they thought, oh, maybe he's got a chance. When both grandparents run Celtic supporters' buses and you are tied to the club as a very young boy, is there a family pressure on your shoulders? You know, you've got to make it? No, not at all. You know, I mean... I loved football, loved playing football, that was all we had. We never had what they have nowadays, the kids. Our release was going out to play football. I mean, I was probably playing five, six matches a week, you know, um, and over the weekend that could be four or five, you know, because you played with the school, you were representing everything else round about it, you were playing with the schoolboys, uh, Scotland team and all that sort of thing. So that was all we were doing and we were fortunate enough we were playing games all the time. Now I go to games and I watch and there's about 15 substitutes oh. and people say to me why there's no so many players well there are too many people standing no playing you know there's one of the reasons but um, we were brought up mate. you know as I say I was a bit similar to Ian when we were trained at Barrafield we could see the lights on you'd be running down and you'd be running in the Rangers end because you'd get the last 25 minutes you'd be running up the big steps at the back because that's what you could get but it, growing up that way you didn't realise you talk about mental strength and all this sort of thing we had the green blazers on and the ties and the massive big bag, you know, the Celtic crest on the side of it. And you're standing at a bus stop at Barrafield. <laughs> you know, you talk about mental toughness. We didn't realise that at the time, but you're wondering why people were going looking at you or giving you a bit of criticism or whatever. Uh, Even as kids, uh-huh. the pitches used to be full. We'd be playing Glasgow United, we'd be playing anybody. And you turn up and you're wearing the hoops in Glasgow. Even as young kids, the pitches were full watching you, giving you stick. Even as a young man, you didn't realise. but. Yeah. That was part of life for everybody. Is it character forming or would you rather have done without it? No, it was fantastic. Didn't realise at the time that's what we're actually doing, you know, and what we were going through. But it was character building, there's absolutely no doubt of that. And probably only when I went to England at I went to England at thirty two and it was probably then I only realised how difficult it is to pray, probably for the old firm, for guys that have not been like ourselves, been fortunate enough to be brought up in it and we know the pressures that go with it. I mean, as I said to you before, the great Tommy Burns said it did he you love playing for Celtic, but enjoy it. It's a completely different question, you know. And I think that was where we were. It meant too much to us, to an extent, you know. Mm. It meant everything to us. Everything was geared towards that. Everything you'd done, everything you you been about your business every day was geared to being at your best to representing that club. Tommy also used to say, one half of the city doesn't like you, and the other half think they own you. Uh, was that your recollection, Ian, of being in Peter's position and playing for Rangers as a teenager? Of course, that's that's part and parcel. Now growing up in Glasgow, now that's that's where you're labelled. Now you're one or the other. Uh, it, it does. It comes with a. There is a heavy price at times, especially now when your 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 team are not doing too well. Uh, the expectations now. Everybody wants a slice of you now. Sometimes you're getting stuck up with people because now you're obviously the Celtic, and if you're not doing well at Rangers, they're getting you stick as well. But you've just got to rise above that. It's, it, it was a great. 
uh, learning curve for me now. We, we was Peter was spot on now. We used to play football until you get called in. Now you played under a light and no playstations, no nothing like that, no mobile phones, nothing, just a ball and a kick about. And whoever was now used to be now whoever had the ball was your best pal. If he, if, if the ball burst, you only talk to him, <laughs> and you find another best pal. That was just the thing growing up. And uh, now, as I said, now it was well, well documented. I used to walk to work, but there was a wee bit in Govan where I, where I had to sort a jog. Well, it was a fast jog <laughs> by the Celtic bit of Govan. And uh, but that was just, it was just great. Now, as I said, now you, you grow up and you learn to adapt to these things. And now sometimes you have your moments of madness. But now that I think it was a great learning curve. And, and now I just loved it. I wish I could go now. Propel myself back to the years again. When you officially signed for Rangers, who became the first major influence on you inside Ibrox? Uh, well, John, I signed for John Gregg and uh, as an S form now, and he you in and now you guys going to meet. And at that time, now the manager but used to take part in, I don't know if it's the same with Celtic now, John Gregg and Tom McLean and Tom Forsyth used to come down and do now training at the Albion under now like three floodlights and there's a bit of red ash. And, you went to on the grass pitch for the first time, and they, they would come and now always checking up. At that time, there was no academies, it was just apprentices. So, if you're lucky enough to get taken on, you were an apprentice. And at the time, there were maybe five or six apprentices. The rest of the youth team were made up with trialists or players coming in from from uh, from Europe, which was very rare. Uh, and that's what it was. And, and under now, Big Jock gave him a first now pro contract. Uh, got the call to go along, sign the contract. Now, you wait downstairs until at that time, there's a wee. A wee light, and once the light went up, you went upstairs to meet the manager. Uh, big Jock being Jock, just sign there because they used to call me Moppy. I remember he'd the head there. Yeah. Remember that, Granny? I do that. And I had yeah, a beehive on top of the beehive, <laughs> and, uh, and Big Jock, she right sign there, right? Mister Durant, my dad's name is Shug, so yeah, Quincy goes right, Shug, sign there, and obviously a parental, and he goes right, you beat it. Me and your dad are going to have a dram. So that was me. I just signed for Rangers. <laughs> I'm sitting downstairs and then my dad come down cross-eyed after a couple of drams with Big Jock <laughs> and the two he's walked along for Ibrox back to Kenan Park with the two of the biggest grins you've ever seen in your life Yeah, I, I love Big Jock uh, but he frightened the life out of you at the same time ah, well, you, to be, you should be near on the end of one of his bollockings that to frighten the life of you but he was just a proper man uh, you see some of the things I don't think he gets the recognition he's now two trebles now coach of the 72 Barca team now having to rebuild a a team now with limited budget due to now, the reconstruction of the stadium and um, one of the now I keep going on about when, when we do these wee Q&A's now he's probably one of the, the last managers now he actually brought five players through it played in the same team myself Robert Fleck Hugh Burns uh, Derek Ferguson uh, Dave McFarland and they uh-huh. all come through now for being apprentices and all played for Rangers now at the same time and uh, when you see it now it's very rarely do you get Maybe one or two through over the years, and Big Jock now now produced five players that play for Rangers first team. Because he had a military background and uh, all that goes with it, people just thought that's it. He's a, a jungle fighter and all the other cliches that newspapers used at that time. But there must have been more to a man that's able to produce that number of players for the first team. Oh, but no, beside now his record now the trebles now they they don't come easy, and Big Jock's had two. And he was fantastic. Uh, he was. He had his bits. He had his moments. Now, where you see the, the the jungle warrior coming out in him. But again, now, he, he was as fair as anything. Now, if you were playing for Big Jock, Big Jock would give you a pat in the back. And not not a lot of people seen that side of him. They they seen the aggression. That was the persona the big man put aside. But he could put a, an arm around you and tell you know what you're doing and what, what how you can do better. And he, he always said that now his, his door was always open. That was a great thing. If you ever had a problem. And managers in, in those days had to deal with other problems now, other outside influences now, the breakup of now, 
girlfriends or other stuff and Big Jock now knew about it he had a network of people in Glasgow <laughs> uh, we, we all know them and, uh, and Jock, Big Jock knew what was going on and uh, if you needed a hand he would give you a hand in anything and that was a great thing about him that, but a lot of people never seen that side of it now outside of Irox Folk from Kenning Park don't scare easily but do you remember a Jock rant where you thought <gasps> I was pinned up against the wall and I was about eight stone at the time and it didn't take much lifting <laughs> And uh, I gave Jock one of the looks when he, he said to me about tracking runners and Grant will tell you I wasn't the greatest of tackles or tracking people at runners but Big Jock liked you to run up and down in straight lines and now match people and, and I gave him a sort of look but as I put my head down I just seen a fist coming and his fists were quite uh, in the big side uh-huh. and I was dangling about three feet off the ground <laughs> basically saying if you give me that look again I don't think there were many teeth left in your mouth. <laughs> Nowadays, people would run for a lawyer, but I mean, Absol- it was part and parcel of the game then. Listen, Big Jock would give you a clip now around the back of the head. <laughs> now, if you weren't doing the corridor, if you weren't doing the, your setups in the gym or your weight stuff, he'd he'd give you one in the midriff to check see if now your 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 six pack was solid enough. And if it wasn't solid enough, you'd have to get back into the gym. And that was just the way he was. He'd, it was sometimes it was frightening. Sometimes you'd try to kid on your feet and get along the corridor if if the big man was coming along, but. Great man, uh, great Rangers man, and just now he's he's and mad. He's up there, but the best for me because now you always remember the manager gave you your debut. I appeared in the telly once, and I had no tie on. And the first thing oh. the following morning, my wife said to me, "There's a man on the phone. He says he's Jock Wallace." And I, I thought, no, but I picked up the phone and I said, "You represent your employer. No tie." <laughs> And I thought, so that that was me, just a scruffy old hack. Oh, obviously that time at training, you had to be clean shaven and now the, the shirt and tie. And again, now you, you try, there'd be players that would try coming in the side doors now to rush in and get a tie on. Sometimes there was a night out and they maybe not get a tie, but Jock knew and he'd have a meeting about the standards and the discipline and the, the player would just be called out to the front, in front of everybody and then told and then quickly dispatched into, now, into a room where big job would go through them yeah. not, for, not just for now the standards of Rangers not wearing a tie not being clean shaven didn't insist upon the collars and ties at Celtic Park but discipline Peter I imagine was the top priority it was massive you, you looked at senior players I was fortunate enough when I went in as 15-16 it was Danny Tommy Burns and that that were there as professional footballers mm. so you watched everything they'd done because they were heroes of mine when I watched them playing um, Danny was probably the, one of the best right backs and I'll say the world not just in Europe mm. at that particular time And but you just wanted to know what made them tick and you watched everything they'd done you know Danny came in like a golfer every day with a nice shirt on and the jumper and the trousers no yeah. jeans all that sort of stuff so you watched their guys and you were always sort of watching what was going on <coughs> how does it get them as far you know what have they done in their career that you can maybe take something off and, I was represented Big Billy was there Davey was there All guys that worked under The great Jockstein So we knew the standards That had to be set And similar to Ian We didn't need to wear the tie We got to a stage Where we had to wear just We had to wear trousers And no jeans All that sort of stuff But You knew the disciplines You knew the place Was always spotless And you know Big Billy God rest him Was immaculate mm. Didn't matter He could go to bed At 6 o'clock <laughs> in the morning He'd up at 7 He'd still look immaculate And that was the way it was You know And all AV things for by the football you were learning professionally how to go about your business you know your manners it was the biggest thing you know your manners your pleasing your thank yous and opening the doors and standing up and respect hello good morning people look upon that 
a wee bit embarrassed to do that now you think nowadays but in the particular days that was demanded of us we didn't realise probably in our time we didn't realise the things that we were getting done people would look at it completely different now and you'd think mm. that's bullying for us it was making us men and saying this is the standards you have to set there is no grey area <laughs> this is the rules this is what you do and that was the way we were brought up and we didn't know any, any different I don't think it's done us any wrong I think mm. we'll always respect each other and it was one thing when we always met each other out even the two teams we always had a great respect for each other. When Rangers used to hump us, they never rubbed it in our face, vice versa. If we won a game, never ever was all that celebrating on the pitch. Very, very rarely did that ever happen because we knew there was only another old firm game or something round the corner about a couple of weeks ago and you know yeah. you could end up wagging your face. But I think the respect was there because of the way you were brought up right through as a young man coming right through. I mean, we go back to the youth game I'm talking about. Was it Parkhead and we beat Rangers? I think it was 2-0. But there wasn't all that singing and dancing rubbing the Rangers' face because we knew what we were representing and we knew how disappointed these guys would be. And there were pals of yours as well. But there was no better feeling than beating Rangers. But there was a time and a place to show that, you know. So is your first Celtic Rangers or Rangers Celtic game, your your debut in that match, is that still ingrained in your mind? Yes. Um it was usual Saturday morning ritual. I think we were supposed to be playing Airdrie Reserves. I was 17 or something at the time. And we were supposed to be playing Airdrie Reserves at Celtic Park because you always played on the Saturday the first team were away from home. But usually it was always if Rangers were playing Celtic in the first team, it was Rangers playing Celtic in the reserves at the opposite pitch because of the ticket situation. Um, and I always went to Mass in the morning. So I was at Mass, 10 o'clock Mass in the morning, come back in, Mother says to his, listen, I've had a phone call, you're going to Celtic Park a little bit earlier. I was like, okay, so I'm thinking to myself, well, the game must be changed to a bit of time, you know. So bear in mind, I hadn't been training with the first team or anything. And I got into Celtic Park and two heroes of mine, Jimmy Johnson, Bob Lennox, um, came walking towards me and said, all right, son, you'll get your first breather about 10 o'clock tonight. But I just laughed because it was these two guys that was talking to me, you know. I had utmost respect for them, obviously, and Bobby was the reserve team manager at the time. But I didn't think anything else. And Brian Scott comes to me and said, listen, Gaffer wants to see you in the physio room. So I've walked to the physio and Davey's not there. And next thing Davey comes in, he said, just looked at me and went, you're playing over at Ibrox today. And if I didn't think you could do it, you wouldn't be playing and walked back out. But before it went the door, it was a, as I said to you before, it's the first time I've ever swore at a manager. I was like, you're effing joking. And his tears were streaming down my face and I was shaking like a leaf. Bear in mind, I hadn't trained even with the first team. And I, I'm, I didn't know what to do. And my mum was outside and I went outside and I said, listen, you need to try and get my dad. I says, the reserves are no kicking off at two o'clock. I'm playing over at Ibrox today. Uh, and she's looking at me and I'm sobbing. And she, I said, you need to try and get my dad. So one of my neighbours, believe it or not, because it was very, very difficult to get uh, Celtic Rangers tickets, obviously for Ibrox. And one of the neighbours went to get my dad for work, taking a clothes and that, came up to work and said, listen, your Peter's playing at Ibrox today. You need to get there. And gave me his ticket to go to the game to watch his play so thankfully he was there that day but unfortunately we lost the game but I'd done quite well in the game Bobby Williamson scored overhead kick but it was just such a whirlwind and I'm probably glad that happened that way because if I'd been probably told the day before I wouldn't have slept and whatever you know and oh. I, think, I think everything happened so quick I always remember shaking in the dress room still but you know when you'd done the warm up I just couldn't get the game started quick enough but I was very fortunate I had very very good players alongside me like Danny and Tommy and Murdo's and all these guys they were all there and there was a strong group of men there uh-huh. and they helped me through it so and th- thankfully personally it went well for me the game but as I say at that particular time I'll always stick etched in my mind and absolutely no doubt of that it's a dream Rangers to me now the more dangerous team as Celtic seem to be just wilting a little 
So a corner kick to Rangers on the right side of the field at the Copland Road end of Ibrox. It's Davy Cooper to take it. Left footed in swinger towards the near post. Oh, not cleared there by the Celtic defence. The overhead kick and Rangers have scored. Bobby Williamson. Ten minutes into the second half. A marvellous goal there by the Rangers striker. The Celtic defence hesitating. He hooked the ball over his own shoulder. Deceiving Pat Bonner into the back of the net. 56 minutes gone here at Ibrook Stadium. It's Rangers 1. Celtic nil. Do you remember anything of the game itself? Yeah, nearly scored, believe it or not. Um, ball came out there and I volleyed it and it's right by big Peter McCloy and big Dave McPherson actually has got a toe in here over the bar on a volley and I can always remember it. I'm thinking, what way that do we need to start? But that's the one thing that sticks in my mind about mm. it. But just after it, how my life had changed, you know, people knew you because you were an S forum at school and whatever and it was like us, whereas when you were an S forum, even then you were looked upon as something different when you went to play with the school team. You know, you'd be getting stuck at the side of the pitch. I'm sure Ian was the same because he was signed with Rangers. I was the exact same. They'd be coming out to school and giving you pelters, you know. And then all of a sudden, that night and the next day, my life just changed. I'm just going into the shop as normal to get a paper or the rolls or whatever the hell it was, you know. And everybody knew who you were. Uh-huh. And you just thought, well, how does he know me? Or what's he talking to me for? How does that guy know me? I don't know him. And how your life had just changed completely. And that, that's what happened within that... 12 hours really When you live in the shadow of Ibrox And you make your old firm debut You must have been unable Ian To avoid that kind of recognition It was no, Similar to Peter now Big Jock just threw it on me uh, My debut in fact But not in the old firm But I played against Morton uh, To get my debut And uh, Big Jock says There's two comps You're playing tomorrow Get a new night, good night's kip Give you a tap in the head And you go away But I was told on a Friday So you don't sleep that much When you're making your debut But again now Thoughts for me now We played at Morton We won 3-0 But three games later Now That was the only game I could think about Was hopefully get Make more from debut And, and we We played it. I think you'd be playing Granted we playing at Parkhead That time we drew one each We were down to nine men Yes That was more from debut David Cooper and Ali Dawson Get sent off Aye. And I nearly David scored the one. <laughs> it was one in, uh, the Ali, Ali Dawson I think he Half uh, Davy Proven into, and uh, <laughs> so you're sitting there, and it's, at that time there was seventy thousand. You've got the old jungle. If any time you near jungle, you just seen these hands coming out to try to drag you in, <laughs> and uh, so you sort of ventured back for the jungle. And you Rangers in, I think eighteen thousand Rangers in the cell. It's, it's rammed, and and uh, we get back. Uh, Coyce scored apparently. I think from I, I don't know if it was Mark Weed. I think scored to make it one 0 But it was an unbelievable game. And uh, the, the, the whole game just bypassed you. Now it was frightening, and, and I nearly scored in the last minute. If I'd Coco the clown's shoes, I'd have scored. Coisey <laughs> tried and scared. <laughs> no, I know. I look back now these years, and instead I tried to square it back to me. Coisey being Coisey, and that's when I quickly learned. Now, not to look for a cutback after my Coisey at an early age, but it was just it was a, a great game. Now we were down to nine men, and all of a sudden now, yeah, even at early stage, you're, you're labelled a hero. Gone to now, gone to Parkhead. With nine men and, and getting a result and uh, your whole life after the old firm games and I was fortunate enough to now uh, let Peter now do really well in the game and I kept my place in the team until the end of the season but all of a sudden your whole world everybody wants to know you oh. now I mean now you're, you're going to local shops and now you're now still doing my mum's errands going down for American tan tights the pint of milk <laughs> the loaf of bread and then all of a sudden you know oh, you can have that now a, a, now a loaf on me well done that was great and all that and, just everything then all of a sudden now you, your whole world now you're, the press want to speak to you I mean now 
I remember my first interview with a, a, a Mr. Bobby Maitland. Oh, yes. Now, sadly, no longer with exactly, us. Exactly. Lovely and, uh, man. But just big jokes. Bobby will look after you. I think I said two words the next minute. I've got a double spread. Bobby, <laughs> I said everything. And so you, you, you quickly learn and adjust to the to pressures. And all of a sudden, now you're, you're put up in front of the, the media side of it, and that's how you cope with that. But it's, it was thrust upon you then. Now, you, you, now the, the kids are now, made, now doing the media training and all that, which is. Great, but everything was just thrust on us. It was putting a plate, handle it. If you're good enough, then that's what I'm saying. But they, they put the onus on you, as Peter was rightly saying. Now, if they didn't think you were good enough, you were you were nowhere near it. But obviously, they took now they thought you were good enough. If you come from Kenning Park, we accept your sleep in it. If both your granddads were on Celtic buses, we accept your sleep in it. Then comes a man from Italy, who's Edinburgh born, who doesn't get the Glasgow culture. Initially, and revolutionises Rangers. What was Graham Souness like? Well, I think he just he, he changed Scottish football. Now, for us, now he, he put us on road to recovery again. Now we were slowly recovering, but again, at that time after now, as I spoke about earlier, now the old front, the, the new from the United Aberdeen. Now Celtic had the upper hand; they'd, they'd won the league and, and were doing well in the cups. Now, so now Rangers had a new challenge now. Uh, Rangers were given a level of money with a new manager to go and get players. Now, when you look at their, now their signings, now like England captain Chris Woods, Colin West, uh, players of that out coming in, and uh, we knew we had a challenge on. And uh, our challenge when when Graham came in was to fit now put Celtic off the, the top of the league. Uh, he came in in no certain manners. He, he he freed a lot of players, brought a lot of players in, and uh, he said, "If you want to be part of it, show what you can do." And uh, he went in and. Fortsmouth, me, obviously that he, he took a, a link to me uh, along with Coyster, Derek Ferguson, David Cooper. They were sort of the four main ones that kept on, and, and the one who everybody used to write off was a wee man, Stuart Monroe. Mm. And uh, he week in week out, he played away with Stuart, and Graham Souness must have brought in about six or seven left backs. But we Stuart, dogged, stuck to his. Now as I said, we played that, and, and we became the mainstay. Now he, he he used to talk about the jock mentality. Uh, well, you're, you're behind Celtic, you're behind Aberdeen. This is just a jock mentality you give up. So it, it inspired you on. But it was also inspiring wanting to play with beside Graham Souness and Terry Butcher. It started in an incredible fashion because Peter will never forget the day Celtic won at St Mirren and Hearts lost at Dundee and the championship went to Celtic. According to legend, Graham Souness said, Well, what's that got to do with us? He didn't quite get. <laughs> we just played Motherwell at home. And one one nil to qualify for Europe, but now you, you know that's this thing that's now Peter Tewitt's in the dressing room now. Good luck to them winning the championship, but there was a a bitter taste in some of the boys' mouth now. Now there was no chance we were winning the league, but uh, the Celtic went out and won it. Now that's what they do. They, they they knew how to win games at that time. We didn't at that time. We were you know, so far behind. That was us. We were qualifying. We were in fifth qualifying for UEFA Cup. So that shows you how far we were behind now Celtic. Uh, and that's what it was and, and Graham quickly learned now that if you want to be top of Glasgow you have to be number one and at that time Celtic were number one we were chasing our tail but now he got to grips with it and then it quickly changed after that Super Scoreboard The Old Firm Through the Decades